Hello, everyone, and welcome to Autism Stories, where we connect you with amazing people that help autistic teens and adults become more independent and successful. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. I read an article a few months back about the first openly autistic woman elected to political office, and I thought, are there other openly autistic political candidates out there? Not just candidates people think may be on the spectrum. That's when I learned about today's guest on Autism Stories, Dylan Daler. Dylan is running for state assembly in New York, and we discuss with him what it is like to be an openly autistic political candidate and how he wants to make the state of New York a better place if he is elected. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Dylan, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're a unique guest on the Autism Stories podcast, as you are the first person we've had that has given not just one, but two TED Talks. What did you learn from these experiences? I mean, so I, I mean, I learned a couple things. Uh, I remember giving my, my first one, I was really stressed, but I kind of just like went into it and did it. I, I think uh, what I learned from that was that my only... The only thing I'm not afraid of, I think, is public speaking, which is kind of weird because everyone's afraid of public speaking. I learned a lot about other people from giving my talks, actually. My favorite part of talking is not actually like anything that I've prepared. Uh, I tend to leave a lot of time, which TEDx talks don't leave time, but I tend to leave a lot of time in like non-TEDx talks or Q&As. And with TEDx, kind of get to do that afterwards when you get off stage. So I find that, that I learn a lot. I, I enjoy the part where I get to talk with people about their lives um, in the aftermath of my talk. And and I kind of get to learn more about a, l- a little bit past like, what my personal experience is and what the research says, but also um, how it impacts uh, individuals. You are also an author, and your most recent book is called Atypical Neurotypicals. This book looks at the animal kingdom and helping us understand the behavior of neurotypicals and remember that they're individuals too. Can you share with our listeners a little bit more about what they would expect if they purchased this book? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I was... I sat down, and I knew I wanted to write something new, um, and I took a look at my first book, and I took a look at a few other children's books about autism, and I just kind of noticed this, like, this, this, like, theme that kind of ran throughout them, um, and they were, you know, they're all kind of similar, they all, but they all share their own version of experience. I thought it would be rather ironic to turn... The, the everyday goings about of someone who's not on the spectrum into kind of spectrum-like writing, which is, you know, I, uh, I, I kind of was like, what are, what are the things that people off the spectrum do that are kind of weird, but everyone in society seems to do it, so it's not considered weird? And so, like, when you, when you kind of flip through the book and what, as you read it, I like. I really like. Took the chance to point out some stuff, like small talk and like constantly touching things, uh, using metaphors, stuff, stuff 
someone on the spectrum that isn't considered out of the ordinary for your average person, when you should really think that somebody is kind of odd. So it's, it is both like a kid's book. It's very accessible for children because some people said, oh, kids will get the title and then they open up the They're like, it's going to be too complicated. And then they open up the book and they're like, oh, this is really simple writing. And it's also like a kind of satire of my of my own first book. I kind of wanted to make fun of myself because I was so used to explaining the spectrum. I thought it would be kind of ironic to explain to people on the spectrum the weird things that people who are off the spectrum, the weird things they do. And what's been some of the feedback from neurotypical people in uh, reading this book? Oh, yeah. I, I think it's hilarious. They read it, and they have that reaction, that almost childlike reaction I had when I was seven and reading the, the books on the spectrum. And I was like, I do that. I do that. Oh, I do that, too. And as they read it, they're like, oh, I do that. I also do that. And I'm like, yeah, you do. And I'm like, and it's kind of weird. Um, I actually have on the back of my of my business cards. It's a quote that basically says that basically asks people to really think about how weird it is, like looking someone in the eye. And I wrote that in my book too. It was like, think about like how weird it is. We stare into someone's eye to show that we're interested. Yeah, it's interesting to think about um, not only what we do but why we do it. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I think it's I think it's funny because. I've often thought about writing, like, an adult version of the book, um, which is, like, closer to something that you'd see from a, someone like um, Simon Baron Cohen or Tony Atwood, but instead of having it be about what someone on the spectrum would do, having it be what someone, on, like, the, the, like, a full medical overview of being off the spectrum. Now, something that I'm always fascinated about is the seed of any idea. Now, present day, you are running for assembly in the state of New York for the 134th district. How did the idea of running for assembly come about? I think, you know, I had had a period a while back where I was really, really sick. I had this, I, I had had an infection that traveled to my heart, so I was just kind of sitting around and doing nothing. And something that I had been involved with when I was younger was politics, and I always used to say to people, like, if I could, like, I wish that a 16-year-old could run for office. And then all of a sudden I, I remembered how old I was. It's been three years since I had that thought. And a 19-year-old can run for office. And by the time that the election comes around, I'll be 21. You know, it's, it's time for someone, it's time for people on the spectrum to get involved in politics. And I, I kind of made the decision to run, start designing some of my stuff, and then realized that there were not a lot of people who are on the spectrum um, who have run for office or are currently running for office. Um, so I kind of took it as, I remember when I was little and... It was, you know, it, it was a big deal as representation started to kind of trickle into politics that, like, I watched people around me really be like, that person is like me, and they were able to do it. And I think when you look up a lot of times, uh, people on the spectrum who've, who have accomplished things, although there are a lot of them, a lot of the times it's 
speculative. And it's like, ah, this historical person may have been on the spectrum. And so I kind of thought, what can I do now for, like, the third or fourth grader, like I was in 2008, um, for the election with uh, President Obama? And what what can I do for those kids um, on the spectrum who are in that age range where they might be able to be like, oh, yeah, that person is like me. And Rochester, where I live, is very, it's very deeply connected um, to the spectrum. It has some of the best resources. So there are a lot of people here um, who are on the spectrum or who have had a lot of personal experience. So I wanted to give people the opportunity to see that it's not just your neurotypicals who can run for office and do it successfully. I've known many autistic people who are very passionate about social justice issues and making the world a better place. However, many times those thoughts have not necessarily translated into actions. Have there been some key moments or maybe key people that have helped you to take those next steps to take those thoughts and turn them into action in an, in an effort to make this world a better place? Um, yeah, I mean, of course there have been. I mean, obviously, um, my mother and father are two big people in my life. My father is a social worker, so, um, you know, we were all, I was always very focused in, in home, at home on um, social justice. And um, it was it was like that for a long time growing up, that I was, I was very interested in politics at a young age. Um, like I said, I was kind of, like, third and fourth grade get when I first kind of recognized what that world was. Uh, I'd say I got a lot of encouragement uh, from my friend Steve Silverman, who is the author of a great book on the history of the spectrum um, called Neural Tribes. And I'd say, not, not to say that these people actually helped me, but basically anyone who's who suggested that it might not be possible for someone on the spectrum to run really pushes me to run just that much more. Um, you know, people who kind of have doubts in their mind that, you know, can you really knock on a door? Can you have those deep conversations with voters? I actually I had a conversation with someone and they said, um, you know, can you, can you communicate to the people um, who might vote for you in a primary, can you communicate with them in a genuine way so that they feel like they're being understood and heard? Like, can you really learn the things about them? And I looked at the, I looked at the person, and I went, are you saying pandering? And he went, yeah. And I went, you're asking me if I can genuinely pander. Very oxymoronic. <laughs> you can't, just like you can't spontaneously plan, you cannot, you cannot, uh, genuinely pander. Um, so I think between the people who have encouraged me my entire life, like my teachers and my parents, um, to the people who have encouraged me not to do it, um, I think everyone has played a role in helping me um, make this decision. And I think that you're right, there are a lot of people on the spectrum who are very passionate about social justice. And um, I've often made the point that we weren't really, our voices weren't really accepted until like the 1990s, and that's when a movement kind of got put together, um, which was a 
later than most other movements, and we were never really a group that had uh, a really strong coming together movement. We never had Stonewall, we never had um, the large civil rights movement. We were semi-included in the disability rights movement, but we were still trying to kind of find our place as people who, who don't necessarily do the best socially. Um, so I think this is this is a time in the next 10 years you'll start to see a lot of people on the spectrum kind of turn those thoughts of social justice into action as we kind of realize that as we take advantage of the way that the world has become and we use the technology around us to its uh, and we realize its full power um, obviously we're seeing a lot of Greta Thunberg who wonderful and she you know and she's i read an interview with her recently where she was like i if i really was a social person i would have started a large movement but that wasn't my intention i'm not a social person um so i kind of i feel like that's what you'll start to see is that people who kind of on the spectrum who take advantage our individuality and turn that into a positive for the for the social justice issues that we're worried about now, your campaign slogan to get elected to the assembly is to stop asking why and start asking why not. Why did you cho- choose this as your slogan? I grew up in a very, very, very Irish family. Um, and we are really deep lovers of the Kennedy family, as most Irish people are. And I grew up. My father's favorite president is JFK. Uh, My favorite politician is Robert Kennedy. Uh, And Robert Kennedy had a speech where he was quoted as saying, um, you know, some people ask why, others look at the problem and ask why not. Um, And that was kind of, that was where my thinking came from. And I actually, at my desk where I have everything set up and I do my work, I just have my Robert Kennedy biographies and quotes laid out in front of me. You know, I, I really wanted to to recognize, I saw it as the perfect recognition of, of leaving that social, generalized mind of everyone who says, why, why is it like this? Um, and really becoming a person who challenges that and says, why don't, I don't we have this? Um, why, why not do this? You know, why not do that? Um, and really proposing solutions instead of being the person who sits back and just wonders, well, why is it this way? I know, I I have a general idea why it is, why everything is the way it is. And I think everyone truly has some idea of why things are the way they are. Um, It requires someone to get outside of that mindset of feeling like there's nothing that you can do to change it, to say, well, I have this idea, why, why not? I know you've talked about New York as a state that was supposed to bring major reform to public schools so that it was the envy of the nation. What types of reforms to schools would you like to bring if you were elected to the Assembly? Yeah, I I wanted to make that point because um, 10 years ago, we were the state that was supposed to be this. We were supposed to overhaul the education system and make it just better than anywhere else in the state. But we really fell off track 
and you fall off track for various reasons and various donors who prefer that things stay the way that they are because it's beneficial for them. But the problem is the education system isn't supposed to be beneficial for the adults. It's supposed to be beneficial for the people that we're actually teaching. Um, some of the reforms that I'd like to see are actually um, being pushed at the local level by a candidate right now um, who I know relatively well, uh, Amanda Dinohauser. Uh, she, she is very focused on the reformation of our special education system um, and one of the conversations that we've had is um, bringing that more to the statewide level and making sure that kids of all abilities have the opportunity um, to get the education that they need, um, that they are guaranteed, basically, at this point by the nation. Um, I'd like to see less focus on testing. You know, kids should not be having panic attacks about testing. Um, and teachers shouldn't have to be worried about their job if they're good at teaching. Um, I'd love to see higher wages for teachers. Most of my closest friends are teachers. They were either my teacher or they were teachers that I met through when I was through my various uh, educational opportunities. And they are just wonderful people who should never have to worry about um, paying for anything, really, because they are doing so many jobs at once that are not just a teacher. Um, I also like to see a major, uh, I, don't, I don't think that we're going to be able to solve the issue of children um, having, not having supplies that they need. Uh, in the next few years. So what I'd like to see is uh, a tax credit for teachers who have to go out and spend their personal money on supplies um, as transition to the point that all children can have all the supplies that they need. Now, investing in green energy is also an important issue in your campaign. What action would you like to see happen in New York regarding green energy? Yeah, I've been obsessed with um, everything to do with the environment since I'm little. Um, in fact, I don't think it's on the internet anymore, but I still have clippings from a newspaper interview that I did when I was seven, I think, where I had done a fundraiser through my elementary school for the World Wildlife Fund. And so I'm really excited to be able to bring green energy to the forefront of a campaign. Um, I think that... I, I think one of the points that I've often made to people is that um, upstate New York is kind of an area that's in a transitioning phase. We were, we were manufacturing. Um, we were those blue-collar jobs that kind of got wiped away in 2008-2009 during the recession. So what I'd like to see is us embrace some of the some of the opportunities for green technology bring in good companies to upstate New York specifically, and of course to my district, um, and make sure that we do a good, make, uh, basically the point that I've made is that at some point we will be transitioning to green energy as a population, whether it's because of climate change or it's because it's better for our health. Um, but I would like to see is that New York and specifically uh, upstate my district get a real first crack at taking as many of these opportunities as possible.
and that involves tax credits, that involves um, not giving up major amounts of money to uh, energy energy companies that are not green, uh, and it involves uh, a real push on the part of the population um, and the politicians to fully educate uh, everyone about the benefits of green energy past just the issue of global warming, because it's a public health thing, too. It's a public health uh, issue that I don't think a lot of people recognize. So you're a person who advocates for people with disabilities. So how do you feel, as if you're elected to the New York State Assembly, that this will help you to do that? Well, I think I mentioned, I did mention earlier that uh, it's, it's beneficial because I can have the opportunity, and it's not like I don't do it already. I spend a lot of time in schools and going and talking to kids. Um, but in this case, I'll be able to go into schools and talk to kids about civic engagement and disabilities. Um, and it's, it's beneficial because it's, it's a voice. It's a new voice um, in the New York State Assembly who really understands the intricacies of people with disabilities and I'm someone who understands when I need to sit back and really listen uh, to the voices of people who feel marginalized because I, I know where my expertise lies and I know where my expertise uh, ends. Um, like I, could, I could talk all day about what the spectrum community needs. Um, I could not tell you everything about every other disability, their disabled community, um, but I also know that and I, also, and I know when it's time to sit back and listen um, to the people, not just the lobbying groups that are um, in charge of trying to get bills passed, but the, the people who it will actually impact. Now, for those that want to support you and your campaign, Dylan, how do they go about doing so? Well, you can go to uh, daywearforassembly.com. Um, and you can fill out any of the contact information, um, any of the any of the email list um, pieces. Uh, it has a phone number on there, so you can get in touch with me. And as I know some people don't like phones, talking on the phone, so there's an email address too. Um, I'm pretty good about responding to things. Um, there's links to um, all of my policy positions if you want to find out more, and the all important. Uh, donation button, which is although it's not my first priority, it should always be mentioned. I'm not, I'm not big on pushing for donations. I prefer that people just kind of get to know the the policies and um, really make their decision about who they want to support. I never, I don't feel comfortable ever pushing anyone to to donate money for based on party. Um, you know, if you don't like my positions, then I'm okay with that. I'm open to win you over with charm. <laughs> but yeah, they can go to Gator for Assembly, and there's a bevy of options on the website for getting in touch. Um, so I encourage everyone to head there and check it out. Well, I wish you the best of luck, Dylan, and I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks. It was great talking to you. Thank you for listening to today's episode, and thanks so much for Dylan uh, for the conversation. 
If you want to learn more about Dylan's campaign, I have added the link to his campaign website in the podcast description for this episode, so please check that out. Did you know so often autistic teens and adults struggle with anxiety and as a result don't have success in their lives? Autism Personal Coach is a unique service in that we help our clients by working on goals that are meaningful to that person. And one of those goals can be very much like what Dylan is doing in that we can support people in helping them to get involved in politics or social justice issues that are near and dear to their hearts. To get an autism coach for a loved one or yourself to achieve your goals or dreams, it's very easy. All you have to do is email Autism Personal Coach at yahoo.com or call 216-336-5889 and request a coach today. On the next episode of Autism Stories, we will talk with Alec Frazier about how mentorship can be life-changing. Getting real fidgety